Well, today we're going to begin a new sermon series looking at the Psalms. Last summer we looked through the Psalms. We're going to return to them this summer. It might become kind of a, a routine, I think, that during the summer we look to the Psalms. It's kind of a nice, uh, a nice place to go because each one is kind of uh, self-contained, although certainly as a Psalter, they together teach us a lot. They, they teach us uh, how we can deal with all kinds of different experiences, that life is not just always full of smiles and giggles, uh, that, that we face all kinds of trials and difficulties in life. And the Psalms help us in understanding how we are, are to deal with all of those different things. Um, we finished Ecclesiastes and, and now move on after having seen how life under the sun is indeed a, a, a broken world and a hard life at times. And, and uh, now after a week off, and thank you to Ed for preaching last Sunday, and, and uh, we now have the opportunity to turn to the psalm. Psalm 3 is a, a psalm of lament, an, an individual lament specifically in which David uh, shows us how to trust in God in the midst of difficulty and in doing urges us to do the same. So, so though it is written by the king regarding uh, a specific trial that he had faced, a specific situation that he had had to endure, we realize that the, the psalms in general are written for the corporate singing by the people of God. And so we, we understand that this psalm here can be a song for us as well, a song that we in turn can sing and we can turn to in the midst of our own trials. So perhaps today you come here and you feel as if many are your foes. Perhaps you feel as if many have risen up against you and perhaps you even hear the taunting voices in your head claiming that there is no salvation for you that there is no help for you in God if so then Psalm 3 may be just the balm that your soul needs would you pray with me as we prepare to look to God's word our Heavenly Father we come before you on this day this day as we uh, approach Independence Day in our nation, we, we take this moment to pray for all of our leaders as you have told us to do, to, to pray for those who are in positions of authority and positions of, of leadership, whether it be our, our president and vice president, whether it be uh, senators and representatives, whether it be governors or mayors or any other leaders we pray that you would be with them all give them wisdom give them discernment give them a an ever-increasing sense of your leading that they might lead us in ways that are wise and holy may we each individually walk more faithfully with you may we each individually long for your word and hunger for your righteousness but may that walk and that longing not just be an individual longing amongst each of us but may it be a corporate longing that we share in together may we experience 
and express and share with one another not only political freedom and independence that we celebrate as a nation, but far more importantly, the independence that you have purchased for us from death and from sin and from Satan. This which was purchased for us on Calvary's cross by Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Follow along now as I read from the third psalm. This is the inspired word of God. The psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, which is our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, we turn now to Psalm 3, and, and you may have noticed as I read it that, that I read not just uh, beginning of verse 1, but actually there's the the title at the beginning of it, Psalm 3, is the first, the first psalm that actually has a title that is part of it. It is one of, uh, I believe, 14 psalms that are linked to, to historic events in the life of David. And so, so they help us in that they, they help us to kind of know the exact setting that the psalm was written in and kind of what it applies to. And we can, we can extrapolate lots of truths from that and we can even apply it to our own lives when we are in similar settings. And so we see that this psalm, which was written for when David fled from Absalom, his son, refers back to the events that we were talking about just moments ago when we read the Unison Scripture reading in 2 Samuel 15 and the events that followed from that. You see, Absalom was David's son. You can hardly imagine a worse scenario than this for David. He is the king but then all of a sudden one rises up against him. Now that's, that's always a bad thing when, when somebody rises up against the king, when there is rebellion, that is not a good thing, especially when it is a strong rebellion and, and, and the king has to flee as if he is heading off into exile. That, that's a terrible thing for the king, but imagine how much worse this is when the rebellion is being led by his own son. Imagine the pain, the, the betrayal, the the sorrow, the grief that David must feel, and the reality that he's come to a point where, where one of two things can happen here, and both of them are bad. He can lose the kingdom altogether, in which case the promises of God will prove to have not been trustworthy. 
because God had said he was the anointed one. He was the one who was to be the king and that, that there would be one coming from him who would reign forever. But then the other option, the other option is David could retain the throne, but that would mean the defeat of his own son, most likely the death of his own son. And that's actually what ends up happening, spoiler alert. But when that does happen, David is deeply grieved, you can imagine, can't you? At the death of his son. He's faced with a scenario where really either side is, is a really bad way to go. And that's how it is a lot in our life under the sun, in this fallen world, right? We have to choose. Do we follow the path that will be very difficult or do we follow the path that will be even more difficult? Do we follow the path that will lead us to a, a, a disappointing place or do we follow the path that will lead us to an even more disappointing place? Sometimes those are the choices that we're faced with and that is what David had here. We see him having to deal with the sorrow and the grief and the, the tragedy of such a situation. And specifically, I think we, we can see in verses 1 and 2, David's complaint to the Lord. And secondly, in verses 3 through 6, we see his confidence in the Lord. And then finally, we see David's call upon the Lord in verses 7 and 8. But what, what had happened was Absalom, his son, had, had stolen the hearts of the people, as it were. He had done this by basically people came to, to David to have, them, have him judge over their disputes, over their problems. But Absalom had gone out and met them and basically told them, I'm very much paraphrasing here, but how, how basically he would meet them before they got there and, and say, up, oh, you know, the king's too busy for you right now. There's nobody to hear your disputes. Sorry. Boy, if only I was a judge, I'd be able to hear your dispute. I'd help you out. I'd get this taken care of. Wouldn't that be great if that were the case? And the people kind of said, yeah, you know, that would be, that would be great. And this went on day after day. And eventually the people kind of rose up around him and said, hey, Absalom, you should be in charge. And he said, wow, what a great idea you guys had. And he rose up against David. He rose up against David, stealing the hearts of the people from him. There's this conspiracy, as it were, in 2 Samuel 15, 12 tells us that the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. This is what David is talking about in verse 1 today when he says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like everyone and everything is against you? It, it, it perhaps could be something at, at work where it's just everybody's against you or, or maybe it's a family squabble and it seems everybody is against you or, or maybe it's something not quite so personal but, but on a broader nature, you know, in the, the world of politics or the world of sports and just everything's going wrong. You know, you, you might feel like that sometimes. Sometimes it feels like everyone and everything is against you. And that's what David was feeling. But for David, it was more than just a feeling he was having. Really, really everyone was rising against him. Many are saying of my soul, he said, there is no salvation. There is no help for him in God. 
This is a terrible thing for David to hear. First, because, you know, none of us like to be in a situation where there's no help for us, where, where we, are, we are in trouble and there's no one to help us. But even more so, because these people, these, these people who are to be the people of God, are claiming that not even God can help him. They're saying there's no salvation. They are, they are besmirching the name of a holy God, a powerful God, a God who is indeed able to save. These are the people that David is charged with leading and they've gone astray. Well, you can tell that David felt grieved by this. Full of sorrow, full of, of despair even. In 2 Samuel 15 verse 30, we read, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives weeping as he went and with his head covered and all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. He knew very keenly in that moment, as did those who were with him, that the world is broken, that things don't always go as they should, that we face sorrows and griefs and trials and pains. Life under the sun is broken. David did not let his circumstances have the final word. We talked about that throughout Ecclesiastes, didn't we? How we must not focus ultimately on our circumstances, but ought to change our focus so that it is more directed upon what we know to be true about God. And this is exactly what David did in this situation. He looked at the world around him. He had said that, that his foes were numerous. He had said that many were rising up against him. He said that they were all saying that there was no help for him, even in God. And he says in verse 3 to this, But you, O Lord. And, and the structure of this in the Hebrew is, is, is an emphatic construction. It, it's essentially saying, but as for you, you, O Lord. It's, it's, it's like bold printed underlined, okay? Say, as for you, you, O Lord, as contrasted from, from those people who are rising up against me, those people who are saying these terrible things, these people who, who are, are just the absolute worst of enemies that I could possibly have, but, but contrasting to them, you, O Lord, are a shield glory and the lifter of my head they're saying this but but i know this to be true about you lord they 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 might have these words but what i know about you proves those words to be false even though it looks like it right now i turn back to what i know to be true about you you are a shield about me and the glory and the lifter of my head. Too often we listen to the wrong voices, don't we? Too often we listen to the voices. Perhaps they're just the voices in our head as we're, we're thinking about things, talking to ourselves. Sometimes perhaps they're our, our neighbors. Sometimes they're the voices of, of, of politicians or the media or advertisers. Too often we listen to the wrong voices the voice which we need to be listening to is the voice of God. 
Listen to the voice of God. For while every other voice that you hear may seek to lead you astray, his voice is faithful and true. It can always be counted as reliable. It can always be counted as dependable. And it's his voice that reminds us what David says here in verse 3. That you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory in the lifter of my head. A shield. When I think of a shield, I, I think of, uh, of like Captain America. I don't know if you guys watch the Marvel movies. You know, the, you know the, all these great entertaining movies. And Captain America, even if not, perhaps you've read the comic book. Or, or you've seen pictures of Captain America. He had this shield. I don't know. It's about maybe this big. You know, and you hold it in one hand. And, or, or maybe you think of like a mid, medieval knight, right, who, who'd come with his shield in one hand and his sword in the other, right? And, and so you have this shield that you're blocking, blocking the enemy with one hand and, and then attacking with the other hand. But, but that's not the kind of shield that the Bible's talking about here. That, that certainly is a shield that some people have used over time. But what the Bible's talking about is, is a larger shield, a shield that was used as as People came into the thick of the battle into the, as they, they followed their general, their leader, into, into the most desperate and dangerous of situations. They, they would have a, a much larger shield that would actually encircle them. It would be, be oftentimes carried by another person, a shield bearer. It was so big. And, and it would be from ground up over their head and it would actually come back and around them. It would, you can see why this... this language is used here where it says a shield about me or a shield around me because that's what the shield would actually do it would actually come around them and protect them it would protect them from the most dangerous of scenarios most most terrible of of situations and that's the kind of shield that god is around us david is claiming uh, I, I like the words of, of william Plummer. he says truly god is the very shield his people need he how he hides them from evil, covers their head in the day of battle, brings them off conquerors, yea, more than conquerors. All that can be understood by conservation, protection, and defense is secured to us when God becomes our shield. Yes and amen. And, and that's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that in all circumstances we are to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. When he talks about faith, he's not just talking about any religious belief whatsoever. He's talking about trusting in Christ Jesus specifically. And, and it's through faith in Christ that we are united to Christ so much so that, that when the scriptures tell us that faith is our shield, it could just as easily be say, said that, that Christ Jesus is our shield for he is the one who truly extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one, is he not? He, he doesn't just protect us from them, but he actually absorbs them into himself, right? The, the, the flaming accusations of our guilt, and we are guilty. But these flaming accusations that Satan shoots at us, Christ 
as our shield absorbs and takes into himself. That is what he did. He, he instead is pierced instead of us, right? Isaiah says he was pierced and wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And so David here is claiming that promise that, that God had made many years before to his father Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, fear not, he said to Abraham, fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. <clears throat> now the next two things he says here about him is, are, are connected to each other. He says, it's my shield, my glory and the lifter of my head. <clears throat> now, we talk about our head being lifted. We lift our head up high when we are proud, right? When we are proud of what we've done. We walk chin up high. We think we've done something really, really well. Or perhaps the, the downside of that, the flip side of that, is our heads are, are down when we feel ashamed or we feel we've done poorly. I think of just all the years that I coached Little League Baseball. And at the end of a game, perhaps we lost Right? And, and you see it. You can see the, the two teams, right? There's one team, they're like, oh, they're yay, and then the other team. Oh. You know, you, you don't have to have a scorecard to know who won the game, right? You just look at the teams. You can tell. Their heads were down, and, and if it was our team that lost, what we'd always say to them as coaches, hold your heads up. Hold your heads up. You have nothing to be embarrassed about. You guys played hard. You tried hard. You did your best. Hold your heads up. You know? What David's saying here is, is this idea is not a matter of me holding my head up high because I'm so good, because I've tried hard. I've done my best. No, he says that my best is not enough. No matter how hard I've tried, no matter how well I've done, it falls short of what is demanded of me. I, I, I can't hold my head high because there is no glory in me, is what he's saying. This is the glorious king of God's people, and he says there is no glory in me. I, I can't hold my head up, but there is one who can, and that is God. He says, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. This is, again, against that backdrop of what we read just moments ago in, in 2 Samuel 15, verse 30, right? As they, they had gone up, the Mount of Olives weeping and their heads covered. And, and he says against that, you are my glory and the lifter of my head, God. So you are the one who does this. And as we approach God, we, we really ought to, by our own rights, have, have a similar posture as David did ascending the Mount of Olives. We, we should approach God with our, our, our feet bare and our head down and tears flowing from our eyes. Because, because we are approaching a, a holy God, a holy God who, who, who is, is glorious in his holiness. We, we heard sung just a little bit ago, holy, 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 those, those beautiful words sung beautifully, that truth, that beautiful truth. He is holy. And not just is he holy, 
but he has told us, be holy as I am holy. And we are not. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter which one of us, if we are to line up from the most holy to the least holy, both ends of the line would be equally separated from a holy God. Nowhere near him. Infinitely separated. That is our natural status. So we should come before God on our own rights, heads covered, heads down, weeping, sorrowful. But we don't need to do this. Because like David, we look to a God who is our glory and the lifter of our heads. Because on the cross, Christ Jesus paid for our sins. And there he conquered sin and death. And there he purchased our freedom. And there he has brought us into the fold as, as sheep who had wandered away. Those who were, were gone astray, but he has brought us back and he has made us God's children. He has united us with him with a bond that is, is not breakable. And so we can sing like we do sometimes in the song, In Christ Alone. We can sing of, of this Christ who, is, who has done this for us and, and we sing, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. You see, it's his glory, his victory that has become our victory. He is our glory and the lifter of our head. And so we see the next verse of that song says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. What a wonderful promise that is. It's not saying that we don't ever do anything wrong, but it says as we stand before God, we are no longer guilty before him. We have been found not guilty. The judge has ruled us not guilty because the penalty's already been paid. Christ has removed our guilt from us, and we are now holy before God, clothed in Christ's righteousness. And so we can stand before him, knowing that he is our glory and our lift, the lifter of our head. David, of course, didn't understand all that this meant when he, when he said this. He doesn't understand all these details, but we can on this side of the cross. But we can be sure of this. When he was on that side, even though he didn't understand it completely, he stood that day in the power of Christ and we read in verse 4 that I cried aloud to the Lord. And that's not to disparage silent prayer. There's nothing wrong with silent prayer. The Lord hears your silent prayers as well. But, but sometimes in life, we feel something so passionately that we just can't hold it in, right? Right? You know, and, and, and maybe it's something silly like a ball game, right? And you're watching and your team hits a home run to win the game and you're sitting there and, and, and your wife is, this is just a hypothetical situation, by the way. You're sitting on the couch and your wife is in the other room and she hears you all of a sudden, yes! And she's like, what? You're like, well, we got a home run, you know? Oh, okay, all right. You know, but, 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 you know, there's this passion that wells up inside of you and you, you can't hold it in. You have to express it. And that's kind of where David was. You see, he, he's not just 
praying, mumbling a silent prayer to the Lord. He's, he's crying out to the Lord because he feels so passionately about this. And so, so we see he cries to the Lord and the Lord answers him out of his holy hill. It's worth noting that it's not a, at a special prayer service. It's not, not in a special place. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, David was now at a distance from his own closet and from the courts of God's house where he used to pray, and yet he could find a way open heavenward wherever we are, we may have access to God and may draw nigh to him whithersoever we are driven. What a wonderful promise. No matter where you are, you can cry out to God. He will hear your prayer. David was moved to pray that day. He was prompted to pray by the problems he faced. And oftentimes I believe that God does that to us. He leads us into a trial. He leads us into a, a, a problem. To, not because he is insufficient in his power to keep us from it, but rather he brings us into it specifically to remind us that his power is sufficient to deliver us from it ultimately. That, that we need to lean on him and not lean on our own abilities. Sometimes he takes us into these difficulties just for this specific purpose. He sees me trusting too much in my own abilities, trusting in, in, in my own strength or my own supposed uh, holiness or intelligence or, or these things. And he sends a reminder my way, Pete, you are not all that. <laughs> you are not all that, but I am. Trust in me. It's often not comfortable. It's sometimes even painful. Frequently difficult. But I need to be regularly reminded of my dependence upon him. And so do you. And so did David. When David was reminded, he remembered who the Lord was and what the Lord had done. He, he turned to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord heard him. And knowing this gave David a wonderful peace. Gave him a wonderful peace that he could, he could lay down and sleep. You know, I was thinking about this this week as I prepared for this sermon, and, and I thought of a song by Billy Joel called Goodnight Saigon. It's, it's a song that sings uh, of his friends who were serving in the Vietnam War. And, and I remember one time I listened to this song with my, my dad, who was uh, actually a Vietnam veteran. He served in the 101st Airborne Division in Vietnam. And, and he was amazed to find out that Billy Joel hadn't himself served in Vietnam because the song he felt captured the, the feeling or the essence of what it was like to be there in Vietnam so incredibly well. My dad couldn't believe that he hadn't been there. He was frankly amazed by it. But there are lyrics like these, these lyrics. He said, we held the day in the palm of our hands, but they ruled the night. And the night seemed to last as long as six weeks on Paris Island. See, the idea he's explaining there is the nights just seemed to go on forever because they were so tense and so, so frightful. And I can't imagine what it must have been like to be there, to, to, to know that, that, that you were always on edge, always nervous about any sound in the distance, knowing that, that 
you might never see daylight again and just the, 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 the tension that there must have been. And, and I thought about David, how he must have felt a similar tension on the run, uh, on the run, fearful and worried and nervous and anxious. And yet he writes here in verse 5, I lay down and slept. You see, because he had cried out to the Lord and the Lord had heard him. And knowing that the Lord had heard him was all the confidence he needed, all the peace that he needed. Knowing that the Lord had heard him was enough to put his fears to rest. And he could put his head down and sleep soundly, confident in the Lord's work. How was he able to do this? Well, perhaps he remembered what the Lord had done in the past, right? He, he remembered here how he had similarly been pursued by Saul, but Saul had not been able to capture him because the Lord had delivered him. And he remembered when he had been pursued by Paul, he no doubt remembered that, that God had set him apart as the anointed one who would, who would rule and be the covenant representative of God's people uh, when he... When he, uh, when, when he would, would lead them and direct them and, and even defeat Goliath, the great giant, on behalf of God's people that they might share in his victory. And what, what was the confidence that David had back on that day? Remember, he had come to Saul when Saul said there was nobody who was brave enough to rise up and, and fight the great giant. And David said, I'll do it. And Saul said, you can't do it. You're, you're but a little boy. David said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from his flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David remembered what the Lord had done. And so he was able to rest in him. And so too, when we're faced with very fiery trials, we must not let our view become dominated by our circumstances, but rather must remember what the Lord has been faithful to do. Remember what he has done. Remember how he has worked. Remember not only what he has done in our life, but remember what he has done throughout history. Look to his word, the Bible. Turn to him and, and cry out to him as David did in prayer. His word and prayer are two great gifts. <clears throat> and if we do that, as David did it, we will be able to say, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set them against me all around. We will confidently cry out to God, Arise, save me, O oh my God, for you strike all my enemies with a cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. We will be able to live without fear. We will be able to live with confidence. We will be able to live with peace. Why is this true? Because of what David writes in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord and his blessing will be on his people. It is the Lord's prerogative to save whom he would save. And what a blessing that is to us as his people. 
what a blessing it is indeed. He is the one who saves. We do not and cannot do it for ourselves. So trust in him. For Jesus is a firm and trustworthy foundation for our confidence. So in the midst of your trials, flee to him for refuge. Do not fear those who can kill only the body but cannot kill the soul. Trust indeed, instead in God's omnipotent hand and in his all-sufficient grace. And know that even in your trials, he is at work for your good and his glory. And that those who are his, he will never forsake. Lord, we thank you that these truths are indeed truths, that we can know them as such. And we pray that you would constantly bring them to mind, that you would constantly cause us to remember who you are and what you have done, constantly cause us to hunger for your truth in your word, constantly cause us to reach out to you, to cry out to you in prayer. And cause us to rest in you alone. For it is in you alone that we can truly find peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.